0: Cheers, KS, part of Fire and Water Network. You feel okay
1: now? I was never not okay. You weren't? Well, great, great. Boy, what a silly misunderstanding this was, huh? Sam. What? There was never a misunderstanding. I knew the truth the whole time.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I'm off again.
1: Okay. If you were going to lie about this weekend, you certainly would have come up with something a lot smarter than this uncle's funeral thing. What what do you mean by that? I could check on it in a minute. All I have to do is call up the local newspaper and ask them to check on their death notices for the last few days.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, everybody knows that. (laughs) Okay, well I got a skedaddle. I got a funeral waiting for me. Don't we (laughs) all.
1: Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away?
0: Welcome back to CheersCast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me to talk about the Season 2 episode, Snow Job, is first-time guest on the show, Marlene Stemmy. Welcome to the show, Marlene.
1: Thank you, Ryan. It's great to be here.
0: Now, you had been leaving comments both on the website and on the Facebook page at the same time that I was really hoping to get more women on the show, so I reached out and I was very happy that you wanted to come on, so this is great. Thank you for being my guest.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I was very enthusiastic that you had um, kind of an open casting call for a female, and I thought, that's me.
0: (laughs) Which is ongoing. If anybody else is listening, they want, yeah. As a first-time guest, you do have to answer the same question that everybody else gets, which is how and when did you discover Cheers, and what has your experience with the show been?
1: Okay. Um, I started watching Cheers either at the end of the fifth season or in reruns during the summer prior to season six. I was 12 at the time, and I was kind of reflecting back, so I don't remember exactly if I saw some of the episodes of season five as they were airing at the very end, or if I picked them up over the summer, um, but that that is when I started watching it. and I remember some of the episodes from the very end of season five when Shelly, and I knew that Shelly Long was leaving and so forth, um, and again, as I said, this is when I was 12, and the other 12-year-old girls of my acquaintance weren't really watching Cheers at that time. <laughs> as you might imagine. Although I have met some people and made some friends since then that tell me that they had sort of the same story, that they were like young girls and young women that love cheers and didn't have a lot of discussion about that. So anyway, was 12 and I really started watching in earnest at the start of season six. And I remember watching home as a sailor when Kirstie Alley first joined the cast and, was sort of hooked from that point on. I recorded them on VHS and would rewatch them and so forth. And I had all of them from then until the end of the series um, recorded and kind of caught up with the first five seasons in syndication. So that was my sort of, I guess, like early like childhood and adolescent exposure to Cheers. And then when I went to college, I had a few friends that were interested in watching it. And so we would watch them. And then I kind of grew away from it. I don't know why, just as life goes, you know, you get into other things and so forth. And I really didn't watch that many episodes over the ensuing years. I'd watch a couple here and there. Sometimes I would watch the Thanksgiving at Carla's episode over (laughs) Thanksgiving because that was always sort of a fun classic, you know. But I'd even been to the Cheers Bar in Boston a few times, and somehow that never started me looking to see old episodes. And I was even there this past March when I was in town um, in Boston. And it didn't occur to me to keep watching the show. And then in May, I saw that iTunes had the entire series for $20. And I thought, well, I'll watch one once in a while. That would be fun and nostalgic. And I put on the pilot about a week later... And within two months, I'd finished the entire series. (laughs) So (laughs) I just absorbed it. And I've been watching them since that time, not as steadily, but uh, just back into it. And I love it as much as I did when I was that age. And that's been really interesting because the first time that I went back through it, I remembered there were some episodes I didn't remember at all. Some I remember pretty well, but I also was remembering the first time I saw them. So it took me back a number of years and that was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, very, very cool. Yeah,
1: so that's my, that's my uh, story in a nutshell.
0: No, yeah, I, I love the fact that you were just kind of getting into the show on your own and then you know, discover the podcast right around the same time. That's very yeah, fortuitous exactly. on my part. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of episodes ago, as of when this episode is coming out, I had Michelle Hendricks on the show with her husband, Gene. And I completely forgot to ask her the question, which was kind of my basis initially for wanting more female opinions on the series, which is, what do you think of Sam Malone as a character? As I said, one of his defining traits throughout the series is his womanizing and his sexual conquests. As a female viewer, what do you think about that?
1: Oh, that's, it's a multifaceted uh, answer that I could give. I'll try to make it brief uh, for this time. But I, so I started, as I mentioned, I started watching it at the start of season six. And so that was sort of the Sam that I knew going forward in time. And he, at that point, was more, in my opinion, more of a womanizer and like sort of more, more hardcore into that than he was at the, in the earlier part of the show. So I saw more of that side of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think later on, as we get to the second half of that the second half of the second half of Tears, if you will, he kind of changed back. But I didn't I didn't see the whole, I guess, like trajectory of his character. So it's been interesting watching from the beginning this time and as, you know, an adult so many years later because I really like him. I like him as a character and I would like him as a person. I do not like his behavior, the womanizing behavior, but I like the way the show... I think the show came full circle in the end. I think it's a complete story of his, and I don't think that it's necessarily structured that way, but I think to me it makes some sense of his behavior. And there are certainly things that he does that are deplorable, but I think that each of the characters has almost a fatal flaw, and his is just the most prominent, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, the episode that we're going to discuss, I think, has some of his, perhaps his worst behavior (laughs) in it, and I'm not sure that it's entirely the full picture of Sam, but I can't help but liking him as a person. And it's not just that he's charming, it's that there's this, there is like an underlying consideration of people and care for people, even though he is like flat out a womanizer. And there's not really an excuse for that, I don't think. And I don't think that they make excuses for it in the show, but I think that it's, uh, you know, something. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I don't want to you know, repeat myself, but it's just it's his behavior, but I don't think it's the whole of his person, if that makes sense.
0: I, and I'm I pretty, agree with that.
1: I'm pretty moralistic about these things. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little on the judgmental side about about womanizing overall, but for whatever reason, I think that the way that Ted Danson portrayed him and the way that he was constructed as a character doesn't make him... He's not like a one-note character by any means. So I think that that's... While not excusing it, I think that it makes him—you know—there are layers to him. I would say
0: one of the things that I've often said, and and where I try to come down, not necessarily defending it or excusing it, but at least trying to give him some some defense, maybe is is I think in his womanizing, in in his like you know conquests, he never comes off as necessarily lecherous or predatory. Um, mm-hmm. hes there seems to be a genuine amount of love and wanting to bring pleasure and joy to people himself included mm-hmm. but also i mean now that you, i mean you you kind of brought up coming full circle and by the end of the series, you know fast forward to like one of the very last episodes of season eleven that we 'll get to eventually hopefully on the show um mm-hmm. when he he kind of comes to term with being a sexual addict he he's sexual compulsive it almost feels like another addiction like his alcoholism. So uh, when you describe it as a fatal flaw, you could actually describe it as part of like a, a genuine weakness of his character that maybe he has to resist at times, especially when he's in a committed relationship with somebody like Tyana that will play into what we have in this episode. Right. Uh, so, And I yeah.
1: think, too, I think that's because I, I agree with what you're saying. By the end, that does come out. And I think it's interesting, though, too, by the end – his closest friends are women i would say like carla and rebecca are his closest friends and i think that that had an effect on him um i just think there's a lot that's interesting goes on with his character later on and i just happened to come into the show the first time when he was probably behaving the most poorly consistently because he was always trying to you know get rebecca into bed and things like that and so that's really what i saw of him to start before i saw the whole scope of how his character developed through the years
0: yeah uh-huh. All right, well, before we get that far, let's uh, let's focus on this episode. Yes. Again, uh, numerically, I know this might throw people off, especially if you're following along on iTunes or on Netflix, but for the terms of broadcast purposes, this is Season 2, Episode 18, Snow Job. Uh, the episode is written by David Angel. It was directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, February 9th, 1984. Diane is bummed that everyone at Cheers will have to work over the holiday weekend, but Carla tells her Sam won't be there. Every year, Sam takes this weekend off to accompany his old baseball friends to a ski resort in Stowe, Vermont, where they spend more time on the prowl for women than on the slopes. Diane doesn't believe Sam would do that now that he's in a committed relationship with her, until he arrives, seemingly depressed that his uncle Nathan just died. He tells Diane that he has to go away for the funeral, which, coincidentally, is up in Vermont. Before he leaves, Diane not so subtly reminds him that the key to any long-lasting relationship is honesty, and then she reassures Carla that Sam's guilt will eat away at him until he comes back. Sure enough, Sam returns a few hours later, figuring that Diane suspected he might be sneaking off to the ski weekend instead of a funeral. Diane says she knows the truth, however ambiguous that sounds, and could easily disprove his funeral story if she had reason to doubt him. Sam leaves again, and Diane remains confident that he'll be back before closing time. He does return, furious now that she has planted the seeds of guilt inside him. Without much effort, Diane tricks him into admitting that the funeral story was a lie, and then she confronts him for going off to cheat on her, essentially. Sam is so mad that he vows to sleep with every woman in New England, but as he's storming off, Diane lets him know that she can sleep with an attractive box boy at her market whenever she wants. Sam walks out, claiming not to care but comes back five seconds later, riddled with jealousy over this supposed box boy. And that was snow job. So <laughs> there's a lot going on in this episode. Um, there, I didn't even really mention in my uh, summary that there are sort of two subplots, and I kind of want to take those two and go over them before we can get into the main meat of this. First all, there's a teaser where we see a younger mailman coming to Cheers um, who has an encounter with Cliff, which I, th- I think is funny because first when he walks in, he tells Coach, like, I'm sorry, they're all Bills when he hands him a stack of envelopes. And Coach brilliantly just says, well, I'll give them to Bill as soon as I see him. <laughs> and then Cliff walks in and he sees this other mailman and he has to basically kind of admonish him for not you know, dressing appropriately and everything like that. And yeah. we through the scene we figure out that the term clavin is a term not of endearment known throughout the post office. Uh when this guy's like, Yeah, just the other day I messed up and my boss told me to get my head out of my clavin.
1: <laughs> right. The young postman was so innocent when he's telling Cliff this. He says, My supervisor told me to he's still delighted to meet Cliff, but what he says to him is completely insulting. Right. Um, and I noticed as well when the mailman is saying that Cliff's name is a symbol around the post office, Coach is still behind the bar and he's smiling, and he kind of smacks Cliff's arm in a like a, you know, way to go <laughs> manner. <laughs> And then when the young mailman tells the story about the supervisor telling him to get his head out of his cleave when he made a mistake, Cliff and Coach are just kind of standing there with their hands on the hips looking at him, you know, but Coach (laughs) thought it was going to be a compliment as well, so that just speaks (laughs) to his... Positive expectation, I guess.
0: I love that um, it. It cuts to the credits with a deadpan look on Cliff, like he's just like <laughs> he's like not going to acknowledge that. He's like, let it wash over you, just don't.
1: Right, and in fact, uses it later on himself, which is great. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he
0: does. I, I also
1: I loved it when Cliff approached the young mailman. I think he calls him Sport, <laughs> and then he says, "As you can see, I'm wearing the colors myself." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I thought that was great. Like a general or something.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like they, you know, they're both like veterans of like the same military units. You know, so. <laughs> right. Um, right. Then w- once we get into the show, there's, there's the two other subplots. One is... Norm has met this other guy named George down at the unemployment office and they kind of really hit it off and he brings George back and and they're getting a beer together and they go back to to shoot pool and Cliff is trying to tell him a story but Cliff is completely cut out and it's like oh yeah now it, it's actually sort of like thematic the, of being like cheating on on mm-hmm. your friend or whatever is sort of part of that so Cliff yep. feels like you know Norm is running off with another Another you know friend, another boyfriend or something like that. Right. And right. Co- Cliff is feeling left out. What like what did you think about? Because you're right, because that one is like when like the George leaves or something like that. He, Cliff mentions under his breath, like he's like, "Shove it in your clavin" or something like that.
1: Yeah, it's something about the hockey puck. Oh yeah, and he's yeah. Telling yeah. Him, I hope you catch a puck, and then he says under his breath, "In your clavin." <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because they go to a Bruins game. Yeah. And-
1: yeah,
0: uh, and then the, it it was kind of like funny. Like once once Norm came back alone or whatever, he's like, "Yeah, you know, he the, George ditched me or whatever like that." And He's like, "You want to go shoot pool? And then Cliff just really overdoes it, over the top. And he's just being obnoxious. He's like, "Hey, Norm mm-hmm. is deigning to you know like invite me to play pool and everything and throwing." And I just love Norm's yeah. response when he's like, "This is sarcasm, right?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Cliff said something about. F being, I hope I'm as effervescent as your last company or something about being effervescent company for Norm. Oh, that was great. He does lay it on really thick. And I think that was, was that right after Carla had kind of uncharacteristically asked him if he was okay or said, ask him why he was moping. And he went into the, like being like the lone wolf, same wall. <laughs> and went into that yeah, whole yes. spiel, the, the lines from Simon and Garfunkel, like I touch no <laughs> one and no one touches yes. me.
0: Yeah, he, he starts quoting I'm a rock. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah.
1: So he went through all of that and then Norm, you know, apologized to him, I guess, and says that he's. Like what does he say? Like you're you're the best or something like that. He's gonna go play pool with him and then George comes back in.
0: Yeah, then they have their little moment where you know Cliff like groans or something like that, and, and <laughs> you know, yeah, Norm like, you know what, I I'm already I got something, so he kind of like sends George off, and George is like, all right, well he's he's going to get like a burger, and Cliff is going to turn around and betray Norm. He's like, oh a burger, say? Exactly. Like, I love a burger, and George right. doesn't even look back at him. He's like, yeah, that's good for you. Just like, yeah, out uh, the door. Somehow.
1: and I felt like that. I I, I think Cliff really would have gone. I don't think oh, yeah. that he was messing around. Yeah,
0: no, they're they're, they're quick to betray each other when yeah, they need uh, to. Even.
1: And I think that's something that I feel like that comes up again for Cliff in the future, too. So that's kind of interesting that that's, you know, in this early an episode.
0: Both of uh, the, the episode has two guest actors. George, the character of George Foley is played by James Gallery. Um, he played Father Callahan in the TV movie Salem's Lot, which is based on one of my Ooh. favorite Stephen King books, although it's not necessarily a good adaptation. Uh-huh. Um he also appeared in an episode of *Mash* for Rob Kelly, the host of *Mash* cast on this network, uh, and mm-hmm. he was in the movie *Mr. Mom*, which is an old favorite of mine. Oh well, yeah. The the character the the mailman in the front in the beginning in the teaser uh, is credited as Tommy. Uh, he's played by Gary Gershaw, and on IMDb he only has eight acting credits, but they're spread throughout the 80s and 90s, like almost 20 years difference between his first and last appearance i am not sure what oh, wow. else he might have been doing during that time like he he also has like one art department credit so i don't know if he was on the crew or was doing something else and just occasionally bopped in and did these little performances but yeah hmm. i don't know it's, it's just weird like his his first like role is in like 1983 and his last was in 2000 but he's only got eight spots so it's just kind of weird for a for a career to be that sporadic
1: I mean, maybe he is just in the industry and occasionally, yeah. like you said, steps on camera and does something.
0: Right, right.
1: When Cliff gets rebuffed by George and goes back to the pool room, he's talking about putting the pool, how he can nail put the wide end of the pool cue <laughs> yeah. in his nostrils. <laughs> yeah. And did you did you notice that Norm looks back at the door? after George, kind of like he's weighing his options, and then turns around and follows Cliff. (laughs) And there's, like, a little bit of laughter, but it's not entirely played for a laugh. It's almost like you see Norm kind of, you know, letting go of, like, the new shiny friendship and choosing Cliff instead. I thought that was really interesting. It's an interesting friendship choice.
0: Yeah, it is. It really is the the weighing the options. It's uh, having having to put up with and and endure this one particular friend and all the eccentricities and everything, but... Uh, again, there's like the, the loyalty and the the comradeship there, but yeah, it, it definitely yeah. he doesn't have that. He definitely has that last look of like, maybe I'm making the wrong choice here.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. But it's obvious that it's a choice. I felt like that kind of segued a little bit. That was the, the sort of I guess the thematic connection to the Sam and Diane ski trip right. story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other subplot is Coach is trying to break his record for fewest broken glasses in the month. Um, and as he's explaining this, he actually drops a glass, it goes behind the bar... And there's no audio cue. You, you don't get, like, the, the shattering glass shattering. or anything like that. And Cliff looks down there. He's like, Coach, you must have, like, four inches of feathers down there. Mm-hmm. There's like, six inches. You know, you can't take any chances when you're breaking or- And Coach walks out from behind the bar, and he's got <laughs> feathers stuck to his pants, like, almost <laughs> up to his knees.
1: Yeah, he it's, looks like he's wearing boots almost. Yeah,
0: he yeah, it does. It's almost. It's such a great visual gag. And they reference that later on, you know, like, when, when Carla is trying to tease – Diane, but Sam's not coming back, and and Coach just starts laughing, and Carlos like, Yo, you yeah. don't believe, him, do you? and he's like, No, I got feathers in my shoes, or
1: and he says something about how a chicken must feel, doesn't yeah. he, or it's something like, about I don't know how,
0: I, I don't know how, how a chicken does it, or whatever he's like. <laughs> right?
1: And then Carla seems to genuinely laugh with him when he says that.
0: I, I, <laughs> yeah, papers. I think that is basically, I think that was Rhea Perlman just laughing at, yeah. at the, the actor, at Nicola like delivery. I think that was yeah. just we're being caught up in the moment. But, um, and then the whole thing is uh, that culminates at the very end where we see uh, Coach holding the last broken glass. He didn't break his record because he broke one. Oh, oh! He holds up a banana peel. Like he actually slipped on a banana peel. But the line that that he says is "damn tropical drinks."
1: (laughs) I love that. And then he says something about like tells him not to worry that he has a record of eleven consecutive days without starting a major fire. He's very proud of that record. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Coach always has the he's the sunny side.
0: Yeah, he does. He always sees it. So okay then now we can dive into like the big thing which is throughout okay. this episode Sam is planning to go off, he is lying to Diane he is lying to Diane. he's going away for the weekend with his buddies and we don't know but presumably I mean, if he wasn't planning to chase other women and be with other women he, I don't know that he would have lied about his about his destination so I, I it really sounds like he was going off planning to cheat on her or something like that
1: I think – I don't know. I feel like there are multiple possible motivations for him in that because that is what it seems like. But it's, it's hard to tell with some of the things that he says and some of the things that he's talking about at the end and like why he made that decision. But
0: And, and getting into the motivations, I was trying to figure out because, again, the placement of this episode is a little bit weird. Like I was saying like, – mm-hmm. It, like on, on some list and on the iTunes and the Netflix list or whatever and on the DVDs this was slotted between episodes uh, 11 and 12 like this actually would have come out between just three friends and where there's a will so and, and I during the the mailbag episode I tried to explain I think there was a because there was a a hiatus or a break in their air in the broadcast schedule they had to cut this one and move this one back a little bit However, in this episode, Diane mentions that it's Washington's birthday weekend coming up, which is in the middle of February. But the episode Where There's a Will is distinctly the holiday episode, so this one should take place right around the time that it was broadcast. This episode came out on February 9th, so it should be after that. It should be right around the time that it originally aired, so I don't know why it's sometimes packaged earlier than that. But also... The episode that was broadcast before this, Fortune and Men's Weight, includes a scene where Diane admits to Sam that she kind of went on a date with another man. She went to this art show with another guy and brought him back to her apartment. They didn't do anything. They, they just had coffee or whatever and had a little bit of a kiss that episode ended with them sort of kind of acting like, well, they they both threatened to break up with the other, and it's a really kind of ambiguous ending with the with the whole thing. This episode, too, it's like, alright, they're back together, but he's going off to cheat on her, and by the end of this episode, are they broken up? Are they together? These are two episodes in a row where they start off together, but by the end of it, it's like, are they a couple? I don't know. And it's it's really weird to have these mm-hmm. two back-to-back like this, and... At this point, like the there wasn't so they were very episodic. The whole continuity, it wasn't like the the show where you like binge watched like a whole meta long storyline. Story other than the fact that they are a couple, but did Sam decide to go on this thing because of Diane went out with another guy? I I don't know about that. it's just it's weird. Yeah, I think it
1: theme. Yeah, I don't know. I think it does thematically fit in after that one after um, forcing a men's Waits better than it would have after just three friends. So it makes sense to me that it's in that spot. And also just the progression of the relationship in whatever state it's in. I don't know. I think that now we're kind of accustomed to seeing shows that like if one of them sort of leads into the other, like it's very sequential. So you're not necessarily missing part of a story, whereas with Cheers and probably other shows at that time, I think that you get maybe like a little slice of what's going on in their lives. That you have a sense that maybe other things have happened that weren't part of the show. So I'm okay going with that. That didn't necessarily go from the events that ended the last episode directly into this episode. Mm-hmm. I think it. I mean, it's so that it, it makes sense that it flows that way. I don't think we necessarily have to see everything that's happened, though.
0: The ending of the previous episode was such a heavy, heavy moment for them. Right. That I almost, if you're watching them in sequence, I kind of would have expected at least another episode in between them or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, as, as maybe to reaffirm or reestablish that they are still together. Mm-hmm. Um. And then by the end of this one too. So it's just yeah, it, it's kind of it's weird. It. I, I don't know if these episodes agree with each other or speak with each other, but you're right. I mean, it is – they are a week later. We don't see everything. I, there There's enough yeah. of the, the audience has to just, in like, meet them halfway at some point, so –
1: and I think the dissection motif it, it makes Diane look like a hypocrite for one thing mm-hmm. um, in Snow because she's gone on you know she goes on about honesty and she's very very dramatic about it and I don't know I don't think it's supposed to be funny I think Shelley Long does a fabulous job in presenting Diane that way talking about um, what was it if there was a lie or dishonesty between them it would be a crime of the soul doesn't she use something like, <laughs> like very affected phrasing when she's talking about it to Sam um, and I just I don't know. I don't think the relationship is quite that deep. I think it's dramatic. I don't know if it's deep enough to call dishonesty a lot or a crime of the soul. But I thought that that was, like, at the very least ironic, if not kind of hypocritical, coming after the last episode when she was the one that wasn't, was, like, leaving things out. She didn't outright lie, but she was leaving things out, you know. And then even earlier in the season, she... With, I remember the episode when Sumner came back. She told Sumner she wasn't seeing anyone, so she sort of has this history of not being entirely honest.
0: She's certainly guilty of, be, of being hypocritical too, um, yeah. and, she, and also in, in terms of like <laughs> a, a deceit of the soul or something. We could also accuse Diane of being hyperbolic at times. Yeah, that is the fantastic term fit. for. Her. <laughs> yeah, she she certainly yeah. blows things up more than they need to be at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's but it's. Because of the other one, you, the previous episode, when she, it's not just that she, she invites another man, but she kind of explains to Sam, you know, it was so nice to be able to talk to somebody with common interests and like that. Like, she's almost kind of justifying herself that way. Yeah. I think this episode is so one-sided. We know, before Sam even walks in, we know what his goal is. We, like, right. Carla lays out on the line, this, this is Sam's plan. So as mm-hmm. soon as he walks in, when he's talking about this dead uncle, we know he's lying. Diane knows he's lying, and the entire time she's got his number, and she just keeps drilling him down and like pinning him to the wall, and he can't he can't get out of this. He can't deny it as much as he tries. So I think the fact that it's so it so positions her as being the one in power the entire time that there there's no real it never it never flips or turns. Is what, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think maybe that's the thing that because of just, we saw her being in the wrong the previous episode, so.
1: Right. Do you think (sighs) there's a point, though, at which her not admitting that she knows becomes sort of a deceit in itself? I mean, he obviously started. He's the one that's told the lie, but she is not going to confront it either. And I think that she's doing it... It becomes manipulative, I guess. Like, he's manipulating her, but it comes a point when she's manipulating him as well.
0: Yeah, and I... You're right, and maybe that's... I was trying to figure out what it was that was tripping me up about it, because I was like, there's something about this episode where even though Sam is in the wrong the whole time, like, it feels like I... I still felt like I was rooting for him more at the end than her. And I think it's right because at some point what she's doing is almost bullying. She's being more manipulative Mm -hmm. instead of just coming clean and being honest with him, which she eventually did. And that is why Sam is losing it. And he's freaking out and screaming by the end of it. Why is he so mad? It's because you've known all along, why didn't you just say something and talk to me? And she had to let him twist in the wind. She had to do that to, to hurt him essentially, because she knew. And, (laughs) Because he was hurting her, and she knew that he was hurting her, but it's oh god! Again, this is like one of those things it's, where you look at their relationship, and it's like they, it's, as, as uh, Mike Gillis described it, it's it's the, the serial killer in the basement or in the bar, yeah. You're just waiting, yeah. waiting. For
1: oh, that. that was a great. Just, it's like please bring out the man with the axe already. In some ways, <laughs> yeah, it it makes me kind of tense sometimes. They do a great job with it. Ted Danson and Shelley Long do a fantastic job with it, but the the bickering at that level and then the analysis of what the relationship is over and over again in season two, yeah, that's kind of what I wish it would be. It was just like, let's go ahead and <laughs> bring this to a boil and be done with it. <laughs> we'll move on to something else and this episode really I, I think it deals with that well I mean I think they're kind of and that's another reason why I think it fits in the slot that it's in after fortune and men's Waits is it you know it's increasing the drama and the tension and so forth. Mm. I mean, it's funny. I feel like we're talking about it like it's just a dramatic relationship, but they do it in a really funny way. Obviously,
0: <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, and I actually I had a, I have a number of runners up for like my home run moments, but there are just a few other little funny moments that I want. Like, um, oh, yeah. as he, the first time Sam <laughs> is leaving when he's at the door, and she stops him and she starts talking about honesty in relationships, and she goes on for like a minute, you know, drawing oh, yeah. all of these analogies and things, and he's just like. Diane this is not one of the world's best goodbyes. <laughs> I, just, right. I, I love the way he explains That, explained was that. Great. It's like it's like he, he hasn't quite got it yet. You, you actually see him stop on the stairs when it sort of hits him mm-hmm. what's happening and then he just keeps on going. But like at that moment he's like what are you talking about? Like, why are you? So. yeah. Like later on, when like the, like the second time when he's like, "All right, I got a skedaddle. I've got a funeral waiting for me," and it just cuts to coach who's not even like paying attention. He's just at the other end of the bar, like reading newspapers. something, he's like, hey, "Don't we all?
1: <laughs> don't we all?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was actually one of my favorite lines. The coach when coach follows that up with, "Don't we all?" I think <laughs> there was a point in the episode. This is more about the coach scenario, but at the beginning, you know, we, when he makes the comment about he'll give the you know the mail to Bill when Bill when he sees Bill and so <laughs> yeah. forth. Like there's first the first half of the episode, his comments are more like absent-minded, and then at a certain point, and maybe it's after he gives up trying not to break the glasses, he starts becoming wiser, and so his comments are more like that. Like who doesn't? We're all going to die, you know. And then yeah, yeah. a little bit later on, well, I'll save it because my one of my favorite quotes is his quote later on in this mm-hmm. to Sam. But, but yeah, I, I noticed that as well. What do you think of Carla and in the way that she because she's sort of an integral part she's the thorn in the side through the, the episode you know
0: yeah I mean it's it's I mean she's the one who sets it up in the beginning because she's trying to she I, she's hoping to break them up and she's trying to drive this way and she's trying to call attention to it probably hoping that it will spark this fight because she knows what's coming and it is funny that's throughout this like i mean diane proves herself right and carla wrong throughout this as as carla is expecting you know she's i think carla is banking on and hoping that sam's what she thinks is sam's true self will win mm-hmm. out that he'll go off and he'll have the thing and, and he'll revert to the sam of type that that carla knows and loves and every time he comes back and it proves diane right it drives Carla more and more crazy. Um, it doesn't look to that this brilliant, like a uh, com- like um visual gag. When she's like, "Oh, where is Sam? Where is Sa- I? <laughs> you said Sam was going to come back," and she like runs to the door and she, "Oh, here he comes!" And she's like, like really gym-flicking and overdrew. She's like, "Hello, Sam!" And Sam walks right in. And he's like, "Hi, Carla."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I must greet my boss as he returns. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and, like the, the timing of that, the way it's filmed is just so perfect. I love the way that, was that great. Happens, yeah. Yeah. Um but beyond that I mean it's just she was she was trying to sabotage the relationship and it seemed like maybe it was blowing up in her face but by the end of this who knows who knows yeah. it's um
1: yeah I, I thought I thought it was a good repeated pattern the way that they sort of worked the episode around her constantly taunting Diane and then Sam would return you know at <laughs> yeah, the yeah. time and then there was something at the beginning when Carla is telling Diane about the ski trip and she said, and Carla is saying, I believe in the old Sam Malone. And Diane says something about your desperate observations accurately reflect the relationship between men and women in the dememone that you inhabit. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of us who no longer scrape our knuckles on the ground when we walk, your abuse are incredibly primitive. <laughs> I had to look up dememone. I wasn't sure what that meant. But then at the end, I thought it was interesting because Sam and Diane are fighting just like she wouldn't tribute to her, you know, to her view on the, you know, how evolved she is and how evolved men, women in her world are, is exact opposite of how they are at the end when she's saying that she can go and sleep with a box boy at the grocery. You know, right, I thought right. that was pretty funny too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and of course, just something as simple as that just drip brings him back. It was same as the last line which she's like, a box boy. Box boy. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: yeah. Uh. Diane likes the one-up thing for sure. She kind of... She
0: she does it throughout this episode. She's always got the winning hand, yeah.
1: I also wondered, this is kind of like, I thought this was a quirky thing. Um, Other than narrative reasons for the episode, why would Sam lie about where he's going, but then tell her where he's going? Like, why would he say he's going to a funeral in Stowe, Vermont, when Stowe, Vermont is a very (laughs) well-known ski resort? You know, it's like he's half-lying. I mean, he's lying, but he's not really doing a great job of disguising his intention, I don't think.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to maybe just didn't think that Diane would know or would have reason to suspect or something like that. Yeah, I can't yeah.
1: say. Guilt, maybe, I don't know.
0: You're right. It, it had to be that for the narrative purpose that she would have that, to seize on the fact that he's lying. But uh, no. she actually sees it. She's like, still, she's like, isn't there a, Isn't that a ski resort anymore?
1: <laughs> ski there, resort? There <laughs> Welcome to Vermont, Sam. They talked about how he's been there so many times. <laughs> they so many times the name.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Vermont, Sam. Yeah. I actually, uh, Stowe is only like an hour and a half from where I am now. But
1: yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Where, where are you?
0: I'm in northern Vermont now. Oh,
1: yeah. You are? Okay. No, is that where you, you live in Vermont or are you that, just. Yeah, that's there?
0: where I live now. Oh, cool, I'm, not okay. from, I'm not from here originally, but that's where I live now.
1: Sweet. Oh, nice. No, okay
0: getting into some of the uh, superlative categories for Norm's tab, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that initially he orders a pitcher, which is just uh, as a joke for him and George. Um, right. I gave, yeah, I give him credit for three drinks this time, which brings him up to 179 for the series up to this point. Um, for the employee of the week category, for the MVP, who did you have for this one?
1: Oh, I still, up to the wire, I've been deciding who I would pick. Um... I would. So I have. I'm gonna go through two and then I'll pick one. I would say on hand Sam because I think his absence changes the. You could feel it in the bar. It's not the same atmosphere when Sam's not there. And I think he has to tell his story of what's happening and report it because he's not there to act it out like he normally is. And he does a great job of coming back more, you know, escalated each time, every time he has more nervous energy. And he's almost manic by the end of it. And I think Uh he does a fabulous job of that. And then he kind of drops down into the lines about how he – works for the government. (laughs) You know, so he's gone from this like really upstate down to this, trying to be more serious. I just think the back and forth that he has to do running in and out of the bar, he does a good job framing that the story in the episode. But then on the other hand, Diane is there the whole time. And as much as some of her behavior bugs me, she does a really good job of keeping her end of that story going. And just the way that she sort of progresses through it too. So I don't know. Like my, my gut reaction, though, is Sam.
0: That's who I had, too. I had ah, Sam for, for the okay. reasons that you said. Just, in large part, just because of the range of emotions that he goes through. Yes. From the pretend sadness at the beginning, from <laughs> mm-hmm. lying about like pretending to be depressed, um, to his kind of annoying suspicion, to the manic uh, you described at the end, the mania, to exasperation, anger and just outrage by the end of it and everything like all the ranges that he goes through yeah it was it was between Sam and Diane for me too I thought Diane was great but I felt like Diane was also pretty pretty measured and assured throughout the entire thing and she didn't really show the Mm -hmm. range that that Sam did so I I would give the edge to Sam for that one Um, yeah for for the home runs for the best gags you mentioned one of them that I had as my runner up (laughs) when he's like all right Diane I have to level with you I work for the government. <laughs> and, she, and her response, she's like, you are an idiot. And he's like, no, 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 that's just my cover. <laughs> so, um, it's and hilarious. Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say it's hilarious. And I think it, it almost seems true of Sam. Like, I wonder if it's not true of Sam in general sometimes. So it's like funny on two levels. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I've got, I've got, uh, two others on there, but, uh, what was your, what was your, or one of yours?
1: One of mine was the sort of obvious one that I think is still funny is the classic norm entrance when coach asks what's shaking norm and he said all four cheeks and a couple of chins, coach. <laughs> the George kind of slaps him on the back and is laughing and then Diane is genuinely laughing at what he said, too. And I don't know if that was like Diane or just Shelley Long going along with the antics and so forth, but it was just a genuinely funny response and kind of yeah, a classic yeah. font. So that was one of mine. And then the, uh, another one. So when Sam comes back, I think the second time and Carla comes by with the cup and she's like, alms, alms <laughs> to the dink, you know, and hands in the cup. And then as he passes by, as Sam's you know, is passing by and has the the cup in his hand, Coach leans over from the bar, like puts some coins in and says, <laughs> Poor devil. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. I I probably my favorite. Poor devil.
0: Um, I love the moment when he's again, Sam is freaking out and Diana's like, Sam, Sam, you're gonna miss the funeral tomorrow and he's like, How am I supposed to enjoy a funeral when you're making me this crazy? Like, <laughs> Yeah, um, oh, but so actually sick. I think of all of them and the, the line about working for the government that exchange might be my favorite but there's one that might rival that I, I might like this one a little bit more it's earlier on when he's first telling her that he has to go, and he's walking back to the apartment, and, and Diana's like, well, Sam, why don't I go with you to, you know, be supportive of you at this time at, at the funeral? And he has to make up an excuse. He's like, I don't know, you know, he's like, my Aunt Alice, she wouldn't really approve of unmarried people sleeping together. And Diana's like, well, Sam, we don't have to sleep together. And he just, like, very, like, like not ironically, just kind of, like, looks at her with confusion. He's like, then why would you be going? Why would you go? <laughs> <laughs> just, just like the sincerity, like, for that moment, that's the only not, thing that, <laughs> yeah, for that moment, he's like not in the lie, he's not living. Like, that that was just like a, a real logical question. He's like, Why would you come then? <laughs> I know.
1: What's the point? <laughs> um, there's the line at the end, I think that's that line is funnier, but when Sam leaves after he and Diane have had the big fight about the box boy and so forth, and Coach says, Holy mackerel, I forgot to ask him about the olives. Okay. <laughs> and it's it was just a good break in the tension I think and coach yeah. is all it's <laughs> almost like I, he didn't even care to pay attention to any more of the drama you
0: know <laughs> yeah, coach is great to about the um, uh, because the, it's all about deception because they have such a fight throughout this like I mean they, the, season 2 is full of a lot of like heavy emotional fights and everything but they still make be yeah. really funny and that's one of the geniuses of the show so yeah I agree yeah. Any, any final thoughts about the episode before we go
1: I thought, I we mentioned this a little bit at the outset, but just the parallel between the Sam and Diane and the Norman Cliff story, I thought was an interesting thing that Sam and, uh, there's some interesting similarities between Sam and Norm in general, I think. And I think it's interesting that they, in this one, they, they kind of forego the shiny new thing to stay in these more difficult relationships. And both of them do that in their own ways. And the stories are entirely separate. So I thought that that was kind of I was it, the Norman Cliff, you know, relationship story had been wrapped up by the time we really get into the Sam and Diane bit. So I thought that was like an interesting choice in storytelling. And then the whole thing about everybody's experience, like what they wanted failed in the episode. And it even went back to, you know, it's like Sam's norms didn't get exactly what he wanted. Coach didn't break his record. Carla didn't. You know, Sam didn't go away and fulfill Carla's expectations, and even that little bit on the phone about Anne Marie being held back a grade, I thought was kind of an interesting um, connection with that too. Like everyone failed in the entire episode in some way or another.
0: Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, everyone, yeah. The the goals that they had or the expectations they had, they all failed. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it's super depressing, but it was all funny. But they all, you know, kind of fell short. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Carla's oldest daughter, she mentions that she's held back a grade. She's like, she's already been held back twice in her class photo. She looks like Snow White in the Seven Hours. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Coach had that line of, yeah, like, well, skipping a grade is just as bad, and he skipped four. They called yeah. it high school. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, all right, Marlene, thank you very much for being on this episode. I had a lot of fun talking about this one with you, so – Yeah, Uh,
1: thank you. I do too.
0: Where else can people find you online or if they want to hear other podcasts that you might have contributed to?
1: Well, right now I am on an an X-Files podcast. It's called the X-Cast. It's on a different podcast network. Mm -hmm. Um, So not Fire and Water. It's on uh, one called We Made This. And that's my... Main other online activity at this time, I have a blog I'm working on. I want to start a Cheers blog, in fact, but I haven't quite gotten into that, so I can't really give any sort of information on that. But um, I'm on Facebook as Marlene Stemmy and hopefully I'll have more things uh, coming out soon.
0: Thank you very much again for being on the show. It was great to talk to you.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you, as always, to the listeners for tuning in. You can support the show by liking or sharing on Facebook and Twitter, or you can leave a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to all of our patrons, and especially Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack both of whom sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support the network in general, or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com fwpodcasts. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. I don't know what you're talking I like how you don't. Every time I walk through that door, you say some little thing to make me drive all the way back down. You know, I've been on that road so many times, it changed the sign to Welcome to Vermont, Sam. What are you accusing me of, Sam? I'm accusing you of accusing me of being a liar. I mean, all that crap about calling the newspaper. You just said that to get me crazy, huh? I mean, you and I both know that that you wouldn't make that call, would you? (laughs) Would you? You did it! Oh, God, you I can't believe it! Now you know there's no funeral, there's no Nathan Malone. God, what a stupid name, Nathan. I should have said Nathan.
1: God. Sam? Sam? What? I didn't call. You didn't? No.
0: Well, I, I look like an idiot. No argument there. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, all right all right i i better tell you the truth
1: that'd be nice
0: diane i work for the government (laughs) what are you talking
1: about i am on a top secret mission for my
0: you are an idiot no no that's just my cover